Hey, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you for your faithful following. Your time honors me. It truly blesses my heart. If this is your first time connecting to this podcast, I truly hope that it makes a difference in your life. If you feel that it has added value to you and helped you start your path to growth, would you take just a few minutes to leave a five-star rating and a positive review? Thank you so much. I frequently go back to the reviews and reread them to get encouraged and inspired as I am putting content together, especially for you. So thank you for taking the time. One of the subscribers wrote, listening to this podcast brought me peace and encouragement to foster a deeper relationship with God. Wow. What a blessing. I loved, loved, loved that. Of course, I have to say (laughs) that person was a little biased. It happened to be my wife. (laughs) So I'm glad that I got a positive review from her. In one of the previous episodes that I posted, I made a comment. I said that a lot of people think that we are what we eat, and yet I beg to differ. I said we are what we think. And the reason I said that is simply because with our thoughts, we decide (laughs) what we're going to eat. So we are not what we eat. We are what we think. In other words, our life is not determined by our circumstances. Our life is simply determined by our choices. I heard a story of a missionary that traveled overseas. He happened to be walking downtown. And as he came across this alleyway, he noticed a tattoo parlor, a very small one. He stopped and he gazed through the window and he admired each and every one of the designs. There were hundreds, if not thousands of them. All very artistic intricate, beautiful designs. But there happened to be one that caught his attention, and it was right in the middle of them all. Now, this particular design was not in that country's native language. It was actually in English. And what caught his eye was the fact that it was not intricate. It was not fancy, elegant, uh, crafty. It was actually very simple. The design was a skull with lettering around it that read, born to lose. Yes, born to lose. And so this missionary, intrigued by the design, walked in to the tattoo parlor. The artist was there. The artist was an elderly gentleman, probably in his late 60s. He had been uh, tattooing people for decades. And so this missionary walked in and intrigued, he said, I admire all of your designs. There's no doubt in my mind that you are a master at your craft. But may I ask you a question? The artist said, of course. He said, you have one particular design in English with a skull and lettering around it that reads, born to lose. Does anyone ever 
request to get that tattooed on their bodies. The elderly artist looked at him and said, of course. The missionary replied, but but why? Why would someone want that permanently etched on their bodies? The tattoo artist replied with great wisdom. He said, before the tattoo is on the body, that tattoo is already on the mind. (laughs) Wow. Now that is powerful. That's a great piece of wisdom right there for you. Before the tattoo is on the body, the tattoo is already on the mind. Let me tell you, many people are living life with a conditioned mind, with tattoos that have been etched in the subconscious portion of their minds. They don't even know that they're there. But those tattoos dominate their decisions. 85% of their daily mastery, 85% of their daily decisions are based on the subconscious tattoos that have been etched in their minds from the moment they were born. And just like Carl Jung said, the psychoanalyst, until you make the unconscious conscious, It will rule your life, and you will call it your destiny. You see, it's not until you realize what those tattoos look like, what those tattoos say, what they mean. It's not until you find them out that you're able to deal with them and get them removed. Now, nobody can do that for you. Only you can remove those tattoos. As a life coach, I use non-directive approaches. In other words, I might see what the tattoo looks like before you even realize it. I might be able to see it in the first five minutes of our conversation. But yet, if I let the client know what that tattoo looks like, sounds like, and how long it's been there, it will not produce a positive effect in that individual's life. They have to come to their own conclusion. They have to find it out. I even shared in the, in the previous episode a verse that David wrote when he said, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's any iniquity within me. I mean, even David knew this principle. You see, Someone could have gone up to David and told him what his issues were, but David wanted to find them out for himself because he knew that it was in that process that he was going to be able to break free from them, take ownership and break free from them. You see, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test is asking God to bring that revelation. As a life coach, I ask the client questions to help them navigate. I don't navigate for them. I ask them the right questions so that they can arrive at that point where they can actually see what those tattoos look like. Now, those tattoos are called paradigms. The last time I explained what strongholds were, you know, mental strongholds, spiritual strongholds, paradigms, thought patterns, uh, mental constructs, This is what we're trying to tear down in the process 
Otherwise, the individual will always be enslaved to these, to these tattoos. In this episode, I want to touch on two points. Number one is that you can control your thoughts. Number two is that your feelings come from your thoughts and potentially guide you to your final destination in life. In other words, you can control your feelings if you control your thoughts. And if you can control your thoughts, you can also control your final outcome in life. There are two solid differences between people who succeed and people who don't. And those two differences are, number one, they think differently. And number two, they have a different kind of attitude. You see, you are today what you thought yesterday, and tomorrow you will become whatever you're thinking right now. Can I share some, some of my favorite quotes on thinking? I love one of the quotes by Henry Ford. He said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're absolutely right. Paul the Apostle said, Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, think about those things. Gandhi said, A man is but the product of his thoughts. What he thinks, he becomes. And one of my favorites, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Life consists of what a man thinks of all day. Several years ago on Sundays, I would visit a men's halfway house. For those of you who are not familiar with what a halfway house is, a halfway house is a place where people uh, who were incarcerated for different kinds of felonies, uh, they are kept in this halfway house after being released from prison, and they usually stay there an average of uh, four to six months until they are rehabilitated and sent back into society to hopefully become law-abiding citizens. So a church elder and I would go out there and visit these 20 men on average. Now, I want you to picture the building. This rehabilitating center for these men was a rundown building. Uh, the conference room had worn out couches. They were dingy. Uh, the place was not um, a place that you would call a, a center for rehabilitation. It was, it was dark and it was, it was sad. But we would go in there to take a word of hope and a a word of encouragement. Now, these men did not have to attend our Sunday evening Bible study. Now, of course, the the friend of mine, the church elder, he would would share straight out of uh, the Word of God. He he was the one who who would pretty much teach uh, the gospel. My goal was to go in there and focus on Romans 12.2 that says, don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, and good will for your life. I focused more on the renewing of their minds. And so we would go in there, and as I mentioned, they didn't have to go. They didn't have to. They could have chosen to you know, go to bed early or to play ping pong or to eat a snack. But they chose to go to to our class, which was on average an hour and a half to two hours. Now, they would get some extra points for attending, but like I said, it wasn't mandatory. So let me ask you this question. Why do you think these 20 men on average would attend every Sunday for two hours? Think about it. 
Yep. You're probably coming up with all sorts of answers. You're probably thinking, well, they needed a friend or they needed someone that would listen to them or they they needed a word of encouragement. They needed some hope. They needed some love. (laughs) Those are all great answers, guys. Love it. But actually, they would show up because we would take fresh baked chocolate cake and an ice chest full of cold Dr. Peppers. (laughs) They knew that if they stayed through the two-hour Bible study at the end, we would pull out those cakes that were homemade and open up that ice chest and those those cans were sweating cold. And (laughs) Dr. Pepper in Texas, come on. Who doesn't like a Dr. Pepper? Well, I know I stopped drinking Dr. Pepper a long time ago, but they loved it. Now, these men all came from different backgrounds. They had committed different crimes. Uh, Some of them had been in prison multiple times. This halfway house experience was something that they had uh, gone through before. It wasn't a novelty. And so there we were, and I'm sure that they had experienced other people showing up also wanting to teach them and show them the way. But you know, when it came my turn to talk to these men, every time we got a new group, I would always ask them the same questions. One of the questions was, who was your greatest influence? In other words, who influenced your life the most? And so they would go on to ask, for good or for, or for bad? And I would say, well, whatever was the strongest in your life, whatever was most influential. And you know that all of them, without skipping a beat, would say that their father. And then I would ask them, was it positive or negative influence? They would say, it was negative, very negative. And so I would ask them to, to pick an adjective that they would use to qualify or describe their father. They would always come back and say, can I use more than just one word? Can I use multiple words? Can I use cuss words? I would say, of course, if that makes you feel better and if that helps you express what you're feeling on the inside towards your father, absolutely. And let me tell you that I had to hold back my tears when I would hear these men describe their dads, the words that they used, the countenance on their face, their body language. Everything about them changed in a split second. The rage in their eyes provided me with a glimpse into their souls and the condition of their hearts. It was sad, to say the least. And I would ask them a final question. Did your father ever tell you that you would end up in prison someday? And every one of them, all 20 of them, without skipping a beat, said, yes, he did. You see, a father's words are prophetic. They increase the probability of that one thing happening in their children's lives. And therefore, those words or actions become those tattoos. Those tattoos that are imprinted, they are etched in the minds of their children that if they never heal from them, by realizing what they are, they will drag into their adulthood and those tattoos will ultimately determine the destination of their life. Your life's journey begins with the words you speak and hear. 
positive or negative, words are powerful. They have the ability to create or reverse any situation. Now, let me tell you, 20 positives are destroyed by one negative. Your kid comes home from school and you affirm them with 20 positives. You tell them how smart they are, how good they look, how proud you are of them, how much you love them. Those are all positives. You can do that 20 times throughout the day and at the end of the day, get after them for for spilling their glass of milk on the table and you can tear them up right in front of the rest of the family and you will have destroyed all 20 positive affirmations that you spread out throughout the day. That's how powerful negative words are. They leave a more lasting imprint on the subconscious mind. Our words and thoughts are directly connected in our frontal lobe. Let me tell you, this brain area controls the higher functions of the human mind like memory, mood, general thinking, language production, personality, and consciousness. What you believe about yourself today will truly influence your life and give it direction. I hear people say, I'll never make it in life. I'd I'd be better off dead or life is so unfair. Many have been pre-programmed with lies regarding their past, regarding poverty, disease, divorce, death, beliefs, and culture. A lot of people go through life thinking that because mom and dad were poor that they're going to end up poor also or that because dad died of a heart attack and so did grandpa that they're also bound to die of a heart attack or or that because grandma and great grandma and mom uh, had diabetes that they're also going to be diagnosed with diabetes and they make this their lot in life. And what about what about divorce? What about marriage? We know that today 5 out of every 10 couples that gets married ends up in divorce. But you know what? If If the individuals getting married are coming from a divorced home, if their mom and dad were divorced while they were still living in their home, their probability of ending up in divorce themselves goes from a 50% to a 75%. So can I tell you, I mean, these are, these numbers are, are statistics, okay? They're not made up numbers. These are based on stats. And so what does that tell you about the pre-programming of the mind? You see, Children grow up in a home where there is perhaps abuse or mom and dad just didn't get along and they ended up divorced. And therefore, the pre-programming of the mind says it's okay. That is an alternative uh, route out of a relationship is just go ahead and get divorced. Make it easy. I understand that there are times when you you have to when there's abuse of different sorts. For instance, if there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, emotional abuse, yes, you don't want to stay in a relationship. I never recommend staying in a relationship. I always say, run, get out of that relationship before you die. And so, but there are situations where people just give up right off the bat. They may be having issues with conflict resolution or, or communication, or maybe they don't know their love languages, and that's it, and that's easily resolved through counseling, through going to a workshop or a seminar, but because they came from a divorced home and divorce was an option that was already etched in the back of their minds, the first time they have an issue, it's easy to give up and simply say, well, I'm out of here. I don't need to stay in this relationship. Now, let me just add that there are some individuals that have grown up in divorced homes and they have learned through that process. And instead of developing a victim mentality, they have developed a victor mentality and they have convinced themselves that they will not end up as their parents did. And they end up uh, in great relationships, raising beautiful families. However, they are 
a very small minority. A few years ago, we visited Munich, Germany. We happened to be walking along the Marienplatz, which is uh, St. Mary's Square. It's one of the most famous squares, the most visited squares in downtown Munich. And at a distance, I could overhear Vivaldi's Four Seasons being played. Now, I wasn't sure if that was playing off of a speaker system that was strategically located that I could not see, or if there was, in fact, a quartet playing. And as I walked toward the sound, eventually, we ended up finding a crowd that surrounded a group of young men playing uh, some stringed instruments and a harpsichord. And they were playing pieces by Vivaldi. They were quite the masters at it. The cellist had taken his cello case and placed it on the ground. He had opened it and put a sign on it that read, Tips, please. And people were throwing their coins into this case as the quartet played Vivaldi's Four Seasons. I watched them play, perform, and interact with the crowd. They were definitely naturals, and it occurred to me that they could easily be playing at Carnegie Hall and not playing out on the street for coins. They could be traveling the world, putting on concerts, and making quite the profit. And so the question is, how come they did not exploit their full potential and go beyond the four walls? Well, it's very simple. I'm sure that no one ever told them that they had such potential. Our thoughts determine our destiny. Our destiny determines our legacy. William Arthur Ward said, Nothing limits achievement like small thinking. Nothing expands possibilities like unleashed thinking. Unleashed thinking has nothing to do with resources or social status or even education. Let me tell you, there are some school dropouts that have done some amazing things and added uh, value to the world and made some awesome contributions like (laughs) Bill Gates and how about Thomas Edison, uh, Federico Fellini, Steve Jobs, and the list goes on. Robert Hutchins, former University of Chicago president, he once said that the problem with education today is that they're trying to teach people what to think rather than teaching them how to think. A five-year-old was sitting in her kindergarten class and the teacher handed her and the rest of the students a coloring page and it it was a flower. She was given a box of crayons and asked to color the flower. She proceeded to color the stem and the petals the same color. (laughs) Green, of course. It was a green rose. The teacher, upon seeing what was happening, she approached the little girl and she said, Sweetheart, sweetheart, that's supposed to be a rose. You should have colored the petals red and the stem green. The little girl slouched over. She seemed discouraged. She took the coloring page. She crumpled it up. She threw it in the trash and came back. The following year, in first grade, this little girl had a new teacher. Now, this teacher came over and put a coloring page on her desk. This time, it was a daisy. She gave her a box of crayons, and she said, go ahead and color the picture. Five minutes later, the teacher walked by the little girl. She had yet to take the box of crayons. She hadn't even opened it. 
She was staring at the piece of paper, again, slouched over, discouraged. The teacher got down to her eye level and said, Sweetheart, why haven't you started? The little girl said, Well, you haven't told me what color to color the flower. It's quite the sad story. However, it's true in many cases. We are teaching kids what to think versus how to think. Now, down the hallway, there was another class, and in that class happened to be a little boy. Now, the teacher went and uh, gave each one of them a blank piece of paper, some colors, and said, uh, you have 10 minutes. You can draw whatever you want. The teacher started walking around the classroom, and she approached this young man. She got down to his eye level, and she noticed what he was drawing, and she asked, uh, Johnny, what exactly is that that you are drawing? Johnny said, I'm drawing a picture of God. The teacher looked at him and quickly said, but Johnny, no one knows what God looks like. Johnny said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> I love that attitude. I wish we all had Johnny's attitude. Francis Bacon said, knowledge alone is not power. Knowledge only has value when in the hands of someone who knows how to think. My question to you today is, do you know how to think? And what are you thinking? Because remember, what you're thinking today will determine your destiny tomorrow. Many people don't achieve their goals and dreams in life because they want to change their results without, without changing their thinking. You see, you've got to plant the right seed in order to reap the right crop. And if you aren't reaping the right crop, well, you need to change the seed. Coach Bill McCartney, who led the University of Colorado to a national championship in 1990, said, No matter how gifted athletes might be physically, if they don't have what it takes mentally, they won't ever succeed at anything. Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever walked the face of the earth, he said, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, he was saying where the mind goes, the man follows. I mean, the Bible is full of verses that highlight the importance of our right thinking. Let's face it, everything starts with a thought. You see, unsuccessful people focus their thinking on survival. Average people focus their thinking on maintenance. Successful people focus their thinking on progress. Right now, with the pandemic, with COVID-19 and everything happening on our nation, it's easy to discern what people are thinking. You have those that during the pandemic, they sunk into a chair and uh, dove into Netflix and binged on a particular show or binged on TikTok videos or, or started their own TikTok channel. And then you have those who started that book that they wanted to write or a new business, a new venture, their blog a podcast, or even a new service to offer. They use their creativity to add value to other people by either creating content or even creating new streams of revenue to support their families. This group of people, they gained more knowledge. They gained more notoriety. They gained more income. <laughs> While the other group, all they gained was more weight. <laughs> And that was about it. Jack Welch, the uh, former General Electric chairman, he once said that the greatest detriment to many people's success tomorrow is their thinking today. If their thinking is limited, so is their potential. 
But if people can keep growing in their thinking, they will constantly outgrow what they are doing and their potential will always be off the charts. So in a nutshell, if you want to change your life, you've got to change the way that you think. Now here go four important truths about changed thinking. Number one is that changed thinking is not automatic. Come on, it's got to be intentional. You just don't wake up one morning and you wake up a different person with a different mindset. You have to intentionally desire that that change in your life, that transformation. Number two is that change thinking is difficult. John Maxwell says that when you hear someone say, well, now this is just off the top of my head, he says, expect dandruff. The only people who believe thinking is easy are those who don't habitually engage in it. One of the greatest thinkers of all times, Albert Einstein once said, thinking is hard work. That's why so few do it. (laughs) Number three, change thinking is worth the investment. When you take time to become a better thinker, you're investing in yourself. Gold mines tap out. Stock markets crash. Real estate investments can go sour, but a human mind with the ability to think well is like a diamond mine that never runs out. It is priceless, my friend. Number four, change thinking is the best gift you can give others. Now, if you don't believe me, ask someone who is related to a former alcoholic. They will tell you that their change thinking truly blessed their whole family. When someone who struggles with a, a, um, some kind of a vice with an addiction and they go through a process of either you know therapy, maybe cognitive behavioral therapy that helps them rewire the way that they think, that change thinking uh, frees them from the addiction, causing them to become completely different people, blessing the people around them. So changed thinking is absolutely one of the best gifts that you can give the people, especially the people closest to you. I heard a story about a man who was visiting the carnival. He was walking by a tent. The tent had a sign that read, Palm Reading, $1. <laughs> Intrigued, he got in the line. He stepped in, sat at the table, put out his palm, and the palm reader started to read. He asked her, What do you see? She replied, I see that you will be poor and unhappy until you're 45. Wow, (laughs) what a fortune. Puzzled and discouraged, the man asked the woman, well, what will happen to me after I'm 45? She said, oh, you'll just get used to it. (laughs) Isn't that true of many people? They just get used to it. It becomes their normal. They become complacent with that thought process, with the outcome. It's almost like they become numb to their surroundings. If you're not careful, your thinking or lack of positive thinking will affect your attitude. I mean, have you rated your attitude lately? Would you say that it's never been better or never been worse? What direction is your attitude taking you? Are you going into a nosedive or are you on a high? Think about it. Attitude is an inward feeling expressed through behavior. The Bible says that a merry heart does good like medicine. 
In other words, a positive attitude is proven to keep you healthier. It goes on to say, but a bitter heart crushes the bones. What does that tell you? I mean, that's self-explanatory. I have a hard time understanding Christ's followers that have a hard time smiling or saying something pleasant or positive. (laughs) Their demeanor does not exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Sometimes I mess with them and, I, and I'll and i ask them, hey, where's your joy? And they'll say, my joy is deep down in my heart. And I'll say, well, you make sure that you tell your heart to tell your face because apparently there's a disconnect, my friend. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, but it's so true. You would think that the day they were baptized, they weren't baptized in water. They were baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> I mean, come on, seriously. It doesn't take a whole lot to smile. But of course, if your thought process is consumed with negativity, it's going to be hard to smile. It's going to be hard to show a positive attitude. I heard a story about a grandpa who was uh, sleeping on a lazy boy chair and his grandchildren wanted to play a joke on him. So they decided to uh, take some blue cheese out of the refrigerator and rub it on his mustache. Now, he had a really thick mustache, so they rubbed a whole lot of blue cheese. Now, if you've ever smelt fresh blue cheese, uh, it kind of stinks. It it really does stink. So quite soon after that, uh, Grandpa woke up and he said, "Uh, what's the smell in this room? He got up and went to the kitchen and he said, what's the smell in this room? It wasn't long until he decided that the kitchen smelled bad and the wa- the hallway and, and the living room. And he went on to complain and said, this whole place stinks. What is this odor? He went outside and into the backyard and he said, oh my goodness, the whole world stinks. <laughs> How does the world smell to you, my friend? Take some time at the end of each day and, uh, Spend some time reflecting. There's power in reflection. Ask yourself, what was my thinking like today? If I could rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being amazing, 1 being very negative, how would I rate my thinking today? Stay away from negative thinking. It limits your potential. Negative thinking blows everything out of proportion. Stay away from negative talk. It's contagious. There was a man who lived on the side of the road. He sold hot dogs. He was hard of hearing. He had trouble with his eyes, so he didn't read any. But he sold good hot dogs. He had signs up on the highway advertising his hot dogs. He stood on the side of the road and he cried, Hot dogs, come over and get your hot dogs. (laughs) His sales increased. He increased his hot dog order. Uh, He bought a bigger stove to take care of all the clientele. But one day... One day, his son came back from college to help out, but something happened. He told his father, haven't you been listening to the radio, dad? Haven't you been reading the newspaper? There's a big recession. The situation is terrible. The father thought, well, my son's been to college. He watches the news. He reads the paper. He listens to the radio. He ought to know what he's talking about. So the father took down the signs cut down on the orders, and no longer bothered to stand outside. His sales fell overnight. You're right, son, he said. There is a big recession. Stand firm. Be vigilant. Don't let someone else's negativity affect your thinking. 
Keep in mind that change thinking or a changed attitude is a choice that you make, and it's within you. In other words, you can change. Evaluate your present attitudes. Ask yourself, is my faith stronger than my fears? Find your purpose in life and write it down. Determine if you have the desire to change, first and foremost. Live one day at a time. I mean, don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said tomorrow will bring its own worries. Change your thought patterns and develop good habits. Let me end with this story. <laughs> I think I've told you way too many stories during this podcast. I've, I've had way too much fun. Sometimes people ask me, so how do you do it when you are recording a podcast? You laugh so much during the podcast. How do you do it? Well, I talk about the power of vision. <laughs> Once again, my father taught me. You know, uh, he says, even if you only have a few people in the room, envision thousands. And so as I'm speaking into this microphone in this room, I can envision a lot of people, thousands of people listening to this podcast. That's how I do it. And I love to have fun. Let me end with this story. There was a donkey. (laughs) That donkey fell into an old empty well. The farmer who owned the donkey looked at the beast and tried to figure out how to get it out of there. It was a deep hole. It was a, it was a dried up water well. Having thought of nothing to get the donkey out of the well, he decided to simply bury his donkey alive. So the farmer called all of his neighbors and asked to help him shovel dirt into the well. At first, the donkey, the donkey was frightened and panicked. I mean, the donkey thought, they're going to bury me alive. What a cruel death. But after some time, the beast realized that if it shook the dirt off of his back, the ground under him just got higher. (laughs) So he continued to shake the dirt off and take a step up. Shake the dirt off and take a step up. Shake the dirt off and take a step up until the well was full. And the last step that it took was out of the well. (laughs) I want to encourage you today. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the dirt looks like, sounds like, or whatever whatever it is, shake the dirt off and take a step up. Shake the dirt off and take a step up. You're almost there. You're almost there. (laughs) God bless you guys, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you have been enjoying the previous ones, Would you subscribe to this podcast? Would you leave a five-star rating and a comment? I appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. Love you in Christ.